behind the new subpoenas in Fulton County's Donald Trump probe. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Bluestein. And I'm Patricia Murphy, and we are two of your political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome, and be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. There's huge news today. It does not involve Donald Trump's impending potential indictment in Fulton County. We had an exciting announcement about our show that we'll delve deeper into a little later, but I'll give you a sneak peek right now. Politically, Georgia is expanding to five days a week. It's headed to the airwaves on WABE in Atlanta every Monday through Friday morning around 10 a.m. And the best news of all, we're going to be joined by new co-hosts Bill Nygut and Tia Mitchell. Patricia, to say we're excited is an understatement. It's true. It's true. We're so excited. So clear your calendars, Georgia. We're coming at you five hours a week. It can. It will also be in podcast form for those of you who are not sitting around from 10 to 11 every day. But if you are sitting around from 10 to 11 every day, we know who you'll be listening to. Exactly. <laughs> and coming up on today's episode, we have no shortage of things to talk about over the next months and years on your daily radio Dial and of course on daily podcast because we'll be talking today about why Fulton prosecutors subpoenaed four, at least four witnesses for the Trump grand jury. Patricia is going to delve deeper into her column, Innocent Until Proven Guilty. We're going to talk about how District Attorney Fonnie Willis is handling the latest attacks by Donald Trump. And of course, delving deeper into a major announcement about the Politically Georgia expansion. This is Politically Georgia from the AJC. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Let's dive into the latest developments in Indictment Watch, the ongoing Fulton County probe into Donald Trump's attempt to reverse his 2020 defeat here in Georgia. Because we expect news sometime in the next week as grand jurors are set to meet behind closed doors. But before then, we've uncovered new details about the steps that District Attorney Fonnie Willis has taken. She has subpoenaed at least four witnesses, likely more, which surprised some courtroom observers. Patricia, let's start with two of them that we reported a few days ago. Former Democratic lawmakers Jen Jordan and Bean Wen, both of them ran for higher office in the last midterm and came in second place. Why do you think it's important that these two lawmakers were subpoenaed to testify? So I think it's hugely important because the indictments that Fonnie Willis is likely to lay out have been described to me as what is expected to be like chapters in a book, telling Mm -hmm. a story and picking up on several different storylines. And so when we see which witnesses are coming back in to tell their story one more time, we start to get a really good sense of the fact that Fonnie Willis isn't simply looking for information. She is presenting information to these grand jurors. And so with Jen Jordan and B. Wynn, those are two of the Democrats who were on the receiving end of Rudy Giuliani's false testimony before Georgia committees. When he came to town with COVID, I have to add, (laughs) sweating in with COVID, came to town, surprised these committees. They had no idea he was walking through the door and proceeded to lay out just a series of false accusations about the Georgia elections, about two Fulton County poll workers, Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss. Rudy Giuliani has recently said in a separate trial that he, that that Uh, testimony was not accurate, that it was false. Um, So he presented this false testimony. And uh, we know that that testimony had a real effect, particularly on Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss. Um, It also continued to push this narrative statewide 
And that was even broadcast live on TV. So that narrative went worldwide, basically. And so we know that Giuliani now is most likely going to be a part of, excuse me, I'm guessing that Rudy Giuliani is most likely going to be a part of that indictment. That's what having these two witnesses come back to the grand jury tells me. Yeah. And we, we also recall that both of them conducted live fact checks yeah. of what Giuliani was saying and what others were saying as well. Uh, Bean Wen uh, got national attention for her efforts to, to literally re- rebuff uh, another pro-Trump witness testimony as one of those three different hearings that were held at the state capitol. One was virtual. The other two were, were public. But Rudy Giuliani and his allies invested a lot of time here in Georgia. And yeah, this is a a very you know, clear and convincing signal. If we didn't know it already, we definitely now know that uh, that Fonnie Willis's investigation involves Rudy Giuliani in a major way. And of course, her being an expert on the RICO law, having brought RICO investigations before, leads us all to believe that uh, that this this there could be RICO charges involved as well. Patricia, let's talk about a third witness who we reported just a few days ago, former Lieutenant Governor. Jeff Duncan, he's a Republican. He brings the GOP perspective, I think, to to this grand jury. Um, Remember, he stripped several state senators of their committee leadership post after they pressed Mike Pence, the then vice president, to block Georgia's electoral college vote. He had broken with Donald Trump in the 2020 election cycle, became a a leading advocate for what he calls GOP 2.0, a post-Trump Republican future, someone who is not afraid and has spoken out vigorously against not just the former president, but his allies, and to the point where he didn't even vote for Herschel Walker, the Trump-backed Senate candidate last year. He'll also be testifying behind closed doors. That's right. And Jeff Duncan, even at the time, as Donald Trump was spreading these um, conspiracy theories about the Georgia elections and pushing... um, challenging them in court. I will say he was going through the motions, putting his case in front of uh, different courts around the state. None of those courts found in his favor. But even as all of this was happening, Jeff Duncan was speaking out. He was one of the very few Republicans in real time saying the Georgia election was not stolen. He has been on TV a lot lately um, talking about what else he knew. Um, He was often not in the inner inner sanctum. By then, he was already on the outside of the pro-Trump faction in the state Senate. Um, But certainly as the president of the state Senate, as the lieutenant governor, um, and as a partner at the time to Governor Brian Kemp, he would have had a great deal of information that the public simply would not have been privy to in terms of the communications, particularly coming out of the White House and the Trump campaign. We don't know what he said to Fonnie Willis, but it was obviously... um, interesting enough and important enough. She wants jurors to hear from him again. And we know that he has a broad, kind of a broad, broad view of what happened because he was there as it was unfolding in real time. Patricia, we like to give listeners of the Politically Georgia podcast a peek behind the curtains as often as we can. And this fourth witness can can help us do that because George Cheedy, he's an independent journalist. Um, and the way we found out about George uh, testifying was a phone call that I got on last Monday while I was in the airport in Washington and he called me up and he said, Greg, did you get subpoenaed to testify behind closed doors to this grand jury? And I said, no, did you? He said, yes, I did. Is this off the record? (laughs) And of course he gave us permission to say it. And so we ended up, he he actually, you know, of course allowed me to share it with my colleagues. Um, And he wrote a story about himself as well for the intercept. But the reason he was calling me is because we were the two journalists who I guess the best verb is stumbled. We stumbled upon the fake GOP elector meeting back in December 2020. We were both there in the middle of the pandemic in December 2020 to cover the legitimate Democratic elector vote that was happening in the state Senate chambers. And I had reported, I'd interviewed some of the Republican electors who said no, and they went on the record saying, no, nothing's going on. We're not holding any meeting. So I was among those very surprised to see a number of Republican electors gathering behind closed doors. He had the same experience. I think we were a couple minutes apart. I didn't, I don't remember seeing him. Um, but both of us were told the same things as we were turned away by, uh, Sean still, who was a party official at the time. Now he's a state Senator. Uh, he told both of us, Oh, nothing to see here. There's an educators meeting. He said it was an educators or education meeting. I tweeted it, went about my business to go cover the actual democratic vote, the legitimate democratic vote upstairs. Several others kind of stayed downstairs later on. They opened the doors to the public, but what we know now, uh, thanks to the January 6th commission 
records that have come out since then is that Donald Trump's campaign instructed the fake electors and others in the state party who were helping to organize that meeting uh, to to stay secret, to keep it a secret and not even tell Georgia state troopers who report to Governor Brian Kemp. That's exactly right. And Greg, literally moments before this podcast, not because I thought we were going to talk about this, um, but I was looking at your tweet from December 14th, 2020 which was the day that Georgia cast its electors for Joe Biden. And it's a tweet from you. And it just says, hmm, I'm at the Capitol where Democratic electors are about to vote. I spotted a few GOP electors behind this closed door. It's a picture of room 216 at state Capitol with a huge double set of closed doors. Um, I spotted a few GOP electors behind this closed door, as well as some GOP officials. A guy at the door called it an education meeting, in quotes, and scrambled when I tried to walk in. Um, so we, I remember seeing you tweet that. I was elsewhere in the Capitol. I'm like, hmm, what is that? I mean, at the time, we could not have known exactly what was happening. Moments later, they scrambled, I think, had a conversation and decided to open that to reporters and said, oh, yes, here we are. Um, but we also, as you said, saw the email from Robert Sinners, who was at the time on the Trump campaign, that told the electors, do not tell the Capitol Police why you are in the building and your discretion and secrecy is essential to help ensure that Donald Trump can win Georgia. Um, so that gives us a really good insight into the fact that this was not meant to be a public meeting. This was not meant to be all out in the open and perfectly normal. Um, and it also gives us an important clue that Fonnie Willis is very interested in that electors meeting. The alternate electors, the fake electors, you know, call it what you want, but they all signed their names to a document that said that they were the duly elected electors for Donald Trump in Georgia after he won when in fact he lost. And you're exactly right about the secrecy. There was no press release from the Republican Party. There was no there's no effort to be transparent about what was going on. Uh, the only people who knew that they were going to meet was a small group of Republicans. And, and we've also reported since then that four of the potential electors actually opted out. They said they didn't want to be involved uh, for various reasons. So um, the fact that George Chidi has been subpoenaed, we obviously already knew that from court filings and other records that the fake elector plot, the people involved in that were being scrutinized. Several of them, at least eight of those electors have uh, been granted immunity in exchange for their cooperation with Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis's investigation. But we do believe that they are continuing to be under the microscope, as George Chidi's subpoena can, uh, can point to. Well, Patricia, you also wrote a column that's out this morning, Friday morning, innocent until proven guilty. I have not yet got a chance to see the column, so I'd love for you to delve into it because you're you're tackling one of the most controversial issues in Georgia politics right now. Well, so, well, Greg, I should have emailed it to you before we had this conversation, but I'll tell you what it's about. And it's important to me because we all know how concerned most Americans are about the institutions, the democratic institutions here in the country. And the criminal justice system is certainly one of them. And the presumption of innocence for any defendant, no matter who it is, uh, is a bedrock of that criminal justice system. And that applies to anyone who Bonnie Willis is bringing in from accused gang members to teachers to potentially a former president. Um, we all know what Donald Trump did for the most part. So much of it was so brazen and done out in the open. Um, we know what he did for the most part. We don't know all of the dots that connected it, but it is not right now people's chance to convict him of a crime. That is Fonnie Willis's job to make the argument in court if she does bring these indictments as we expect her to do. It's up to a judge and jury to decide, did those actions violate the specific Georgia code that is already written? Um, sometimes things seem egregiously wrong, but it doesn't line up with the facts and the pieces of the law that would apply to it. And it's not a crime. So Donald Trump deserves the presumption of innocence here in Georgia if he is indicted for a crime. And I think this case is going to feel different from many of the others because along with uh, Trump's attorneys who may also be swept up into this, we may see Georgians from who are people's neighbors and people's parents and friends also swept into this. And so those Georgians who supported Donald Trump, helped Donald Trump, 
and may have gotten themselves into criminal liability because of Donald Trump, I really think they believe the presumption of innocence to their their actions were what they were. Whether they were crimes, we are not going to be anywhere close to knowing that until we give the criminal justice system a chance to do what it does. And so um, that's what my column is about. It won't be a popular opinion <laughs> for a lot of uh, Democrats who read my column. They believe he's guilty. They're allowed to believe that. But we're talking about whether it was a crime. Um, now, voters will soon decide if he's still on the ballot, and we have no reason to think he won't be. They can decide if they think all of this was right or wrong. That's what an mm-hmm. election is for. That's a political question. But as for as far as an actual criminal question, um, all of the pundits on TV and the hot takes on Twitter and the Google, everybody Googling Georgia criminal code in the next week or so, um, we don't know if these are crimes and we're not going to know until a judge and jury decide that. And um, that's what my column is about. And by the way, Patricia, that's a good chance to plug the AJC's coverage tomorrow. Hallerman, Bill Rankin, they, of course, are out with a new season of Breakdown podcast on this trial. This is the chance. That you, you mentioned all these hot takes and analysts and all this other. There's going to be a lot of noise over the next few weeks and months and time to come. This is the time for our listeners and readers and viewers to focus on local news, the AJC, our coverage of this. We have been there from the get-go. We rely on local experts. Um, we have been in touch with the prosecutors and the defense attorneys and all sides of this case from, from the, we, we have assigned two reporters solely to cover this bill Rankin, Tamar Hallerman. We have a whole team of reporters, including the two of you know you and me and do, literally dozens of other reporters. We were in a meeting earlier this week where there was something like 50 people on the call. We have a whole team of folks who are going to be covering this, have been covering this and will continue to be covering this through the local lens. And one other thing to say before break is that this trial means more. You know, this is the trial, and Tamar wrote a great story about this a few days ago. This is the trial that Donald Trump's attorneys are particularly worried about, because if he's elected president, he can put an end to the federal investigations. Um, this is his trial. He cannot order Fannie Willis to stop. Um, so this is the trial that his attorneys have privately acknowledged, his allies have privately acknowledged they're most worried about. And remember, this is an investigation where nearly 20 people have received target letters. So we could be talking multiple indictments. Fonnie Willis is no stranger to complex multi-defendant cases that involve RICO charges or whatever else she might end up charging. Um, so, so stay tuned, get ready. <laughs> and when we come back from a quick break, we're going to introduce our two newest co-hosts of the Politically Georgia Expanded podcast. This is Politically Georgia from the AJC. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, your host, Greg Bluestein and Patricia Murphy, about to be joined by two other hosts. But before we get into that, we're also two of the authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which sets the stakes in the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join the community right now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts and get three months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts, so you always know what's really going on. Patricia, now that we're back, we are so pleased to be joined by two new members of the Politically Georgia cast, Tia Mitchell and Bill Nygut. Neither of them are strangers to our audience, of course, and I can't tell you how excited folks in Georgia and beyond are. I And I'm not even kidding here. I got a standing ovation today in Brunswick 
when I told a group of about 120 or so political junkies that Politically Georgia was expanding Monday to Friday, hitting the airwaves in WABE starting this fall, and that Bill and Tia were joining the team. Bill, let's start with you. You didn't get much of a break after leaving GPP a few weeks ago, <laughs> did you? No, but I'm really glad. I, I, I realized something really important during this, what, six weeks? I'm absolutely not wired to stop working. I've missed it. And I'm really, I got to tell you, just sitting here listening to you, Patricia, and you, uh, Greg, doing the first segment, I, I am so thrilled that I get to join you. I, I'm, you're, you've invited me into your political home. I kind of just hope I don't tramp mud all over the carpets and knock the lamps over <laughs> as we get going. I'm really Don't worry, we have a, a, uh, a ready cleaning crew for anybody who oh, knocks good. anything over. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we have to worry about that. And again, folks are so, we've been just bombarded with messages. I can't even imagine what your phone, your inbox is looking like right now, Bill. People are excited. I'm really excited. And Tia, you've been on the show dozens of times, but now that we're expanding into daily, you'll be a co-host who is not going to just be talking about what's happening in Georgia, but also give us a view of Washington politics from the Georgia lens. Yes, I'm happy to like officially be brought on as a co-host. It's going to be a lot of fun. I look forward to providing our politically Georgia audience more of a perspective from Washington, breaking down all the things going on on Capitol Hill for our Georgia audience. So um, again, we've got some exciting things ahead. Yeah, and we mentioned earlier this week on our shows, the AJC, I mean, look, Patricia, this is the first time I've worked for a media outlet that is actually expanding. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Bill, you've been through this. You were at WSB doing some of the, the fun times where they were adding staffers and going all over you know, the, the country and the world. I've never worked for a news outlet that has actually added staffers until now. It's really neat. And we, we just added Adam Van Bremer, our new Savannah bureau chief. There are hires in other parts of the paper. We're really excited about Janelle Davis returning to the AJC. She was at the Washington Post for a few years as an editor. She's coming back as one of our top editors over culture, black culture, food, lifestyle coverage, and Michael Jordan, who is coming on board for the first time at the AJC, but he is a well-known media personality and editor and writer in Atlanta. So Patricia, this is this is a heady time for our news organization. Oh, and hey, could I throw something in real quick? Yeah, throw it in. Be because Greg, you said in the first segment, you like to take your uh, listeners behind the scenes a little bit. Yeah. So I want to tell you very quickly about the first meeting I had with our president and publisher, Andrew Morris, which really came right after the announcement was made that I was being thrown out of GPB. And Andrew at a lunch laid out for me all he wants to do to expand the digital footprint of the newspaper, starting, he already had great praise for what you two do with politically Georgia, but talking about, you know, um, expanding the podcasts further, bringing in Monica Pearson to do some of that, mm -hmm. being on the radio. And I got to tell you, in that first lunch, I said, Andrew, your vision for what a modern newspaper can be, expanding digitally and delivering news. I can't imagine wanting to work anywhere else, because if this works, you're going to be the model for newspapers all over the country. From your lips to God's ears. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Amen. And yeah, Andrew has, Andrew Morris, our publisher, has come in with an expansive, ambitious agenda. And the beauty of it is he's getting backup from Cox, the, the parent company. And so it's not just, it's not just a vision, which is important enough, but he's also getting the capital to go do it. So stay tuned for a lot more news on that front. There's just, there's other things in the works, uh, but this is so exciting. And guys, since we have you on, let's join us for the next segment. Let's dive in because Donald Trump is trying to undercut Fonnie Willis's investigation uh, by promoting conspiracy theories about her in a new ad. And we, we, we were going to play this ad with the caveat that we're about to talk about why it's not true. Here we go. And Biden's newest lackey, Atlanta DA, Fonnie Willis. So incompetent, on her watch, violent crimes have exploded. So tainted, Willis was thrown off one case for trying to prosecute a political opponent. So corrupt, Willis got caught hiding a relationship with a gang member she was prosecuting. So dishonest, Willis was accused of creating a fake subpoena. Welcome to the Fraud Squad. This is a, a tough journalism question and one we've, we've, 
uh, you know, I got this morning in Brunswick, but you know, how does the media report on this? How do we handle this? We can't necessarily ignore it because other media outlets are reporting it as fact. And it is up to us to also report on the efforts to undermine her investigation. So what we've decided to do is focus on how Willis responded to this in an email to her colleagues and to Fulton County officials that called the TV ad derogatory and false and urged her staff not to respond. Bill, let's start with you. This is also emblematic of the threats that she's faced and one of the reasons why she's had to have increased security. Yeah, you know, but here's what I think about. First of all, every time you think that Trump and his people can't go any lower, they prove you wrong. I mean, this ad, which not only goes after Fonnie Willis, essentially accuses her of having an affair with a gang member she defended back when she was a defense attorney, among other things, goes after Letitia James, Alvin Bragg, Jack Smith. It's it's really, really, um, I think, about as disgusting as a, a political ad can get. But, you know, Patricia, you're the one who made me really realize how wired Fonnie Willis is for handling this sort of thing. The column that you wrote last week in which you talked about what an iron will she has, how impervious she is to the kind of attacks she's getting, uh, really uh, gave me a whole new perspective on her, Patricia. Oh, well, thanks for that, Bill. Um, Yeah, I think anybody who has seen Fonnie Willis in action, and we all have because she's been operating in Atlanta for many, many years, knows that she is not afraid to bring indictments against people who may be popular. Schoolroom teachers, principals, rap singers, people who are in some cases beloved in their communities, but that she believes committed crimes. And uh, when you talk to her, she talks extensively about her role as a murder prosecutor. And um, when she came into the DA's office as the new district attorney, she created something that she called a murder project and put her assistant DAs doing nothing but clearing murder cases and moving them forward um, for entire, for days at a time, doing nothing but murder cases. Um, She has prosecuted really the worst of the worst. Um, she is uh, has had personal protection that predated this trial. Um, and she, I think she is not going to bow in the face of what really is just a an ugly political attack. But I think it's also a sig- signal from Donald Trump. He only goes after the people he's threatened by. And so for him to come so hard off after Fonnie Willis, I think should be interpreted as a tell from our listeners that he's worried about this indictment. And the way it's stacking up, I don't think he's wrong to be worried about this indictment. And Tia, this isn't the first time Donald Trump has gone after a Georgia figure, Republican or Democrat, but certainly not the first time he's gone after Fonnie Willis. He's called a racist. He's described her as a clown. I mean, this is part of the, part and parcel of the attacks that she's facing right now from the former president. And I think, you know, we've talked about Fonnie Willison's Iron Will. And, you know, even when this ad, when she first got knowledge of the ad yesterday and her direction to her staff was, we're not going to address it. Don't talk about it. Don't feel the need to defend me, which I think is interesting because if she wasn't a district attorney, if she was like, there's possible defamation in that ad. You know, some of the claims made, she probably could take a different posture if she wanted to and create more problems for Donald Trump. But it's clear that she doesn't want to even go there, at least right now. So I think it's just another example of Donald Trump, his way is often to uh, beyond the attack against enemies real or perceived. And that hasn't always served him well. But on the other hand, we see time and time again where these enemies, real or perceived, have chosen to take the high road. And that has often served them well. Look at how Brian Kemp was able to kind of you know, succeed in these midterms, partially because he didn't roll in the mud with Donald Trump. And it's clear that Fonnie Willis is kind of trying to take that same approach as well. And Bill, as much as we're here right now, you know, reporting on, uh, you know, Fonnie Willis's response to this, 
I know that Patricia and I have been inundated with emails from conservatives who are saying, how come you guys aren't reporting on this? Who are taking Donald Trump's words as fact. And we will hear, we will continue to hear about this in the GOP sort of very far right conservative media world. We'll hear more of these conspiracy theories, untruths, falsehoods, lies, all that. Yeah. I mean, there's no question that uh, being critical right now of Trump and his supporters out there uh, brings very strong reaction from the people who love him dearly. And and you write that it's going to continue because, as we all know, uh, Trump himself the other day said, you know, three indictments already and I've gained in the polls one more indictment and I'm assured that I'll be the nominee. And that's where his people stand with him. So, of course, we are going to continue to feel the heat if we report the truth and the facts about the Trump campaign to try to prove that he is uh, innocent. Patricia, where do you, you, you've been on multiple road trips. So have I all over Georgia. What are you sensing on the ground? Because, you know, I've read coverage in other states of Republicans shrugging off these indictments. And of course, there's plenty of Republicans here who are saying they're unconcerned about a fourth criminal case in Georgia, but it's harder for state Republicans to dismiss it because Georgia's the backdrop this time, right? We all lived through 2020. We we saw our state leaders, Republicans and Democrats, come under you know incredible pressure from Donald Trump directly, our state GOP leaders in particular, to reverse the election results. We all lived through that. New York Times said it was the backdrop. It was sort of background music, uh, these indictments around the country. In Georgia, it feels like they could be a theme song. You know, in Georgia, it does hit closer to home. It's a lot harder for Republicans to tune this out. Uh, yeah, and I don't even know that they are interested in tuning this out. There are Republican voters who I talk to who want to know about Hunter Biden, about Burisma, about why is uh, President Joe Biden not in the exact same amount of trouble as Donald Trump for the things that they say that he's done. There's an entire parallel media ecosystem that is heavily focused on President Biden. Um, Because of the trouble that Hunter Biden has gotten into, he has pled guilty to a number of crimes already, but that plea deal has fallen apart. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene sits on the oversight committee that has been having the whistleblowers come in and testify in open hearings um, about Hunter Biden. There is this active belief that, and and it is repeating Donald Trump's own talking points, there's a two-tiered justice system that the government and the justice system has been weaponized against Donald Trump and certain Republicans who support him. Even the people who are campaigning against Donald Trump, the Republicans, most of them include in their platforms that they are going to defund the FBI. I mean, this is this is a it, this has taken hold and it's because Donald Trump says so. And so I would say uh, it's too soon to know how what voters are going to do with this information because we don't have all the facts out. We will learn things in these trials that we didn't know before. But at the moment, there is a very loyal Republican electorate that is hearing Donald Trump's side of things and believes him. A program note, not only will we have continue indictment watch next week, and of course, we'll be covering The Gathering, the Eric Erickson-sponsored event that will bring in six presidential contenders. But we also have an exclusive AJC poll of the presidential election and all sorts of other issues coming out later this month. So that will give us a new and improved and updated gauge on how the Republican electorate is feeling about the former president. So stay tuned to that. Now it's time for our listener mailbag. You can now call the Politically Georgia podcast hotline anytime, leave a question, and we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 404-526-AJCP. That's 404-526-2527. And our exhausted, overworked, but amazing producer Shaney B and his legion of interns is standing by. Shaney B, your job is about to get a lot busier as you shepherd and help steer this podcast into an expanded new realm. Oh, Greg, but I got to tell you, I'm over the moon about this. This is such exciting news. Bill Nygut, welcome to the AJC family in Politically Georgia. And Tia, it's always a pleasure working with you. So being able to be together with you guys five days a week, I mean, this is a win for everybody. I can't wait. So good. We are excited too. 
and I know we're still going to be using this. We're still going to be featuring this segment on the show. We get tons of emails and calls each week, 404-526-AJCP. Shaney B, I'm giving you a hard, a hard uh, challenge, but can you find the, the best email? Because because we, we have four hosts now, and we all want to get a chance to answer this to find the, the one best question we've got. And we're going to give four separate answers. Four separate answers to one question. But hey, this is a real popular question, so I'm just going to pick the one that came from Eloise in Tifton. She's asking the question that a lot of people want to know. Will Donald Trump have a mugshot taken and be fingerprinted if he's indicted in Fulton County? Eloise of Tifton, this is the question that everyone's asking internally in the AJC newsroom. And frankly, the MSNBC producers are asking me this as well. You know, what we know so far is the Fulton County Sheriff Pat Labatt has said that he won't be treated any differently than any other defendant if if Donald Trump is indeed indicted and charged in Fulton County. Um, So that leads us to believe that, yes, there will be a mugshot. Uh, it came up, it's come up in internal meetings too, about how this all works. Will there be a mugshot? I can tell you this, it might be the most famous mugshot in the history of the criminal justice system in our fair country. Um, and we've already seen fake mugshots of Donald Trump out there, I guess, AI generated mugshots that his campaign is even selling. So we've seen that very popular at Trump rallies all around the country. So uh, it's still an open question. Uh, But Patricia, I could see this being used as a fundraising tool and frankly, just a political tool because there is a blurred line between Donald Trump's campaign and his legal defense right now. I don't think it's a blurred line. I think it's just one happy family. (laughs) That's another way to put it. I don't really think that there is a line. There's not a line. He is raising money for his own criminal defense. They're starting another um, uh, kind of legal defense fund, but that's just so that people can give twice, and they will. Um, But yes, we have heard from um, Sheriff Patrick Labatt that he wants to treat all defendants, including Donald Trump, the same. Now, obviously, there are special security considerations when you're moving a former president who has a secret service detail. So if he is indicted, we have to kind of continue to add that. We don't have it in our hands for sure. I would expect that he would come in at some point and have a mugshot. And I think everything that he has learned from the last three indictments is that when he appears in public and when his supporters see him being arrested and as they call criminalized and they're and they're using the system as he says weaponizing it against him it it makes him stronger he raises more money he goes up in the polls not down now that that theme that uh pattern may change but so i don't think i don't know that he'll really resist that now there are multiple steps to a process in fulton county there's a first appearance and then an arraignment and then a surrender um donald trump can opt out of two of those but not the surrender part so he'll need to come to fulton county at some point if he is indicted um but it, it he he may choose to do all three we don't really know and Bill, you know, this is another reminder that Fulton County is different than federal court, right? Cameras aren't allowed in federal court. The, the drawings of Donald Trump went viral, but in Fulton County, we're, we're expecting a photographers. We're, it could be the trial down the road, if there is one, of course, could be live stream. We don't know the specifics yet, but this is something that the nation will have. It, it should be more transparent than it is in federal court. Yeah, that, I think that's exactly right. I mean, assuming that he is indicted, when, it, when we do see a trial— It'll be fascinating um, to see what the court decides about a pool TV camera. That's what it'll be uh, live in the courtroom. I assume that there, the Trump people have already said in terms of the federal uh, trials that they're perfectly fine with having cameras in the courtroom. I'm not sure that Jack Smith and the prosecutors want that. So I would think Trump's people would say absolutely, and the chances are good there there will be. Uh, live coverage, which will be make this even more the trial, uh, the most important trial uh, in the country. See, yeah, we, we got our hands full. We got to work it out for us as reporters. Uh, but we also know that if if it does go forward, there'll be all sorts of pretrial litigation. There'll be attempts to move this case into federal court. Even if it's moved in federal court, it'd still be under Georgia law. Um, so there's a lot of wrangling to go. But either way. <laughs> It seems like something big is coming. 
Right. And the other thing we have to remember is that there's no indication Donald Trump is going to stop being a candidate for president. So he's going to be a busy guy in 2024 because, you know, and again, as you guys mentioned, it's not like he has to show up every single time, but that's still a lot of lawyers to meet with. That's hearings he may want to attend in person because, again, Donald Trump has made it clear that he believes these cases are helping him become the Republican nominee. So, again, we know he's big on the entertainment value, the publicity value. Um, So he may be wanting to go to hearings because he knows his supporters are wanting to rally behind him. And he's got to figure out how he juggles all these legal issues and legal cases with the mechanics of running for president. And as Patricia so ably noted, there is no line between his legal proceedings and his campaign. He's turned these 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 uh, legal hearings into campaign stops. Okay, now it is time for our Who's Up and Who's Down for the Week, our favorite segment and our favorite theme music. Uh, since we always like to end on a high note, let's start with who's down. And I'm putting you, Bill, and Tia on the spot here. So let's start with Patricia. Patricia, who's your who's down for the week? So my who's down for the week, and I'm sad to do this, um, is Georgia's foster care system. There is a new Senate committee that has been created to really get its arms around uh, what is an ongoing crisis in the foster care system. There was a hearing earlier this week um, where we learned that even though lawmakers had every hope of ending the process of what's called hoteling children, of having them stay in hotels or even offices, um, that is still continuing. There are just children in this state with really significant um, behavioral or cognitive issues whose parents either can't or won't take care of them. And uh, after the last legislative session, it seemed like this was going to be something that was a matter of funding and it could be ended somewhat easily. It has not proven easy. The numbers are down, but they're still happening. And uh, I was just really heartbroken to read that. And um, so they are my who's down for the week. I'm sure people will try and improve the situation, but it's not one that anyone has been able to end yet. And maybe it's yet another wake up call for the foster care system. Bill Nygut, who's your who's down for the week? Well, I mean, picking up on the theme of Trump, I would say that the Georgia fake electors who are still vulnerable to possible prosecution are really down. And I'll tell you why I say that. We we all know that this week in Michigan, uh, fake electors were in- indicted for felony offenses. And and what we learned when, when that happened was a number of news organizations, including the New York Times, compared what happened in Michigan and by the way, what's happening in Georgia, to Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania, the fake electors added language to their uh, mandate for being possibly the um, real electors, Trump electors, by saying, we are only coming in if there is a challenge that makes Donald Trump the actual winner in Pennsylvania. And what we know now, that didn't happen in Georgia. That language was not part of Georgia's uh, call for those fake electors. So I think they are truly uh, in jeopardy, the ones who haven't made deals of being indicted as Fannie Willis moves forward. And I think they're very well aware of the jeopardy they're in. Tia Mitchell, who is your who's down for the week? Oh, my goodness. Being put on the spot. I I don't like it. Um, So I'm going to say former Georgia Labor Commissioner, Mark Butler, because it's never a good thing when your successor is saying, you know, I took a look at what the guy before me did and I don't think he did it very well. And that's what current Labor Commissioner Bruce Thompson has said. Um, And I think it's just so notable that like Mark Butler was a Republican Mm -hmm. and it's Republicans who have been really critical of his tenure as Labor Commissioner. We saw a preview of that a few weeks ago at the Georgia GOP convention where Bruce Thompson used his time on the mic in front of all the Republican delegates to go after, again, Mark Butler and not, and not a Democrat. So there is some bad blood there. My who's down for the week is trial lawyers. Governor Kemp signaled he's preparing a big new push for tort legislation that can make it harder to bring lawsuits and cap huge jury awards. That's setting up a giant new battle between the trial bar and two industries that have long sought these sorts of changes. 
insurance firms and the medical business. Yes, tort reform is a pretty dry subject matter, but it it it, it involves big business, big changes could impact insurance rates and could impact how easy it is to bring litigation against big companies. Okay, now for time for some fun stuff. Patricia, who's your who's up for the week? My who's up for the week, Greg, I have already previewed this, is Martha Zoller, Gainesville's conservative radio host. And it's a tie with Senator Raphael Warnock. Uh, Martha Zoller had been inviting Warnock on her show for three years. Um, and uh, props to her for continuing to reach out because Warnock did go on her show this week. Um, they had what I thought was a really solid interview, really good conversation. And she, you know, she asked him some questions we don't typically hear him asked. Um, he had some answers that uh, we don't typically hear from him. So it was a really strong interview for both of them, I think. Um, and I do always appreciate when people are talking to people, they don't always agree with. I think it um, is the first step towards sort of smoothing out our partisanship. Um, neither one of them are big partisans, but um, it's a start. It's a start. And he said, he'll be back. He'll be back on the show again. <laughs> and she tweeted, finally, <laughs> yeah. because she's been going after it for so long. Bill Nugget, you know what it's like to go after interview <laughs> interviews yeah. for a long time. Yeah. Who's your who's up for the week? Uh, I've, I got to give you two. Number one, I am. Because I am so privileged that I have now got the chance to work with you at the AJC to call people who I respect and admire as much as I do. You, Greg, you, Patricia, and you, Tia, who I've loved working with. Now that we're actual colleagues, I, I'm so thrilled. I can't even tell you. I think the world of you all. Then I would also add, based on um, reporting this week by Tamar Hallerman, it's possible that Ruby Freeman and Shane Moss could be people who are up because Tamar reports that it is quite possible that their treatment by Donald Trump and his allies, which was exposed by the January 6th committee and then in testimony that they gave before the special grand jury here, could in fact play a big role in the indictments of people like Donald Trump and Rudolph Giuliani. So thank goodness these two who have been through such horrible, horrible experiences um, maybe, in fact, two of the reasons that Donald Trump and his allies could face indictment. Tia Mitchell, who is your who's up for the week? So kind of along those same lines, who's up is all those Bill Nigel fans <laughs> who are under the sound of my voice because they have been dancing. They've sent us social media posts. They've stopped us to talk to us. So um, you're welcome, people. You're welcome. And then I also was just going to say, who's up right now is all those people who scored tickets to the Beyonce concerts. There are three of them this weekend. And I'm hoping logistically it goes well so that the MARTA folks in the city of Atlanta folks and all the service industry folks can also be up after this weekend. T, are you staying in town for one of those concerts? I am going to the concert in New Orleans. Oh, so very nice. I am going to wait for my Renaissance experience, but I will be enjoying beautiful Atlanta this weekend. What a week ahead for Beyonce the gathering of White House <laughs> potential can White House candidates and, of course, whatever Fonnie Willis does. <laughs> uh, my who's up for the week kind of echoes your guys. It's political junkies. It's kind of a three-part. Of course, we're so excited and thrilled to bring you more political news on the radio and on this new daily podcast with our two new co-hosts, Bill Nygut and Tia Mitchell. Uh, also, we're going to have so much to talk about, not just the things I just mentioned, but Look, even the Georgia Chamber's luncheon earlier this week reminded us that there is no shortage of political news to gab about. When we saw both Senator Ossoff and Governor Kemp give what could be a prelude to their Senate battle way off in 2026. Yes, I know 2024 hasn't even arrived yet, but folks are already making their moves for the next election cycle. It never ends in Georgia. And my third part of that, who's up, are the kind people here in Brunswick and St. Simons who are such a wonderful audience. Uh, for a speaking event I just finished up and they were so excited to hear about what's to come with the AJC and politically Georgia. Mr. Speaker, I rise to offer recognition 
<laughs> yes, uh, the go- the podcast Godfather Jay Black wants to speak. Uh, I, I accept, uh, and I do want to uh, to point out, uh, you know, who's up for me. Of course, is the is the listeners of the Politically Georgia podcast and you guys, because you know, a couple of years ago uh, we were we were kind of dusting this thing off, and now as we enter this great opportunity to, to go five days a week and 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 get a broadcast radio tower, this is the the second highest rated podcast produced by a local organization in the country wow behind breakdown also from the atlanta journal constitution so look at you guys jay way to go so congratulations to everybody here and now um (laughs) and and now we have a chance to to go even better wait you mean i can only drive things down is what you're saying well no we we still (laughs) or take over we still have a lot of national podcasts we can we can Tick off and, and not. We're still like two hundredth on the uh, on the politics Apple charts, but that's all national podcast. Uh, no other local media organization has accomplished what you guys have accomplished with this show. And now we're increasing the arsenal and increasing the firepower, and hopefully bringing you entertaining, level-headed conversation as we enter a serious political season. Wow, that sounds like a good mantra, and we're coming for you, Political Gab Fest. Well, that is all because of you, our listeners. Thanks so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can find links to all the stories we talked about today in the episode summary of this podcast. We release new episodes every Wednesday, every Friday, or whenever big news breaks. And of course, stay tuned for our updated, expanded lineup. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.